Hello and welcome to the Voices from the Land, Indigenous Peoples Talk Language Revitalization Podcast, produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Tansi, I'm your host, Gordon Spence from the Tasquia Cree Nation in Northern Manitoba. I'm also the Indigenous Community Facilitator for the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Today I am joined by my colleague and co-host, Andrew Bomberry, a Mohawk from the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. Andrew is a curriculum developer, writer, researcher, and teacher. Welcome. As part of the Legacy of Hope Foundation's mandate and mission, we are working to promote indigenous language revitalization as a critical step in the healing of generations of survivors and their communities from colonial policies and practices, which robbed indigenous peoples of their first language. The goal of this project is to help support Indigenous language reclamation through interviews with Indigenous language teaching experts. The target audience for this work are Indigenous language teachers. We hope that by sharing accessible podcasts of interviews with people doing interesting and relevant work on language promotion, we can help facilitate the sharing of knowledge, ideas, and practices that are relevant to the teaching and learning of Indigenous languages. While there are many contexts that are particular to specific nations and dialects within their regions, we are hoping to provide additional tools and a platform that can help with indigenous language revitalization, despite the many differences. Our guest today is Dr. Marilyn Schert. Marilyn is from the Satellite Cree Nation and is the Dean of Indigenous Languages at Blue Quills College. First Nations College in Alberta. Marilyn's commitment to the revitalization of the Cree language stems from her desire to ensure that her daughter, Niperia, has a Cree language community to return to. Marilyn has worked in adult education for 27 years, four years in small business, and four years in early childhood development, Cree immersion, before devoting her time to language revitalization for both Cree and Denny. She received her Bachelor of Fine Arts from the University of Calgary, a Master's of Arts in Transpersonal Psychology from John F. Kennedy University, and a doctorate degree in Ininupimatisuin studies from the Blue Quills First Nations College. Hello, Dr. Marilyn Shirt. How are you today? Thank you for joining us. Answer. Maybe you can just start by talking about what you are doing today and we'll just kind of take it from there. Okay. I started working at Blue Quills here when it was a college. It's now a university. It's now it's called uh, University New Helotin Thiotsin Stame Maganak Blue Quills. The desire to have both Dene and a Cree language in the name. And when I started, we were offering diploma and certificate programs in the language. Through its life, the, the, the university was started off as a, as a high school and then graduated to a college and now it's a university. But through that whole period, they have always been doing language-related programming. Two years after I started, I saw the need for a degree program. And the degree program was in part because not a lot of value was given to language learning or it was hard for individuals who wanted to learn how to speak Cree to find funding to support their language learning. And I had seen in our the community that I'm from, Sad Lake, that the Catholic Church was supporting, I think, two priests and a brother, or three priests and a brother, 
and giving them a language instructor and giving them a sabbatical. So basically paying for their livelihood for a year to, to learn language. But it's not something that was available for our own community members. So the degree was a way of doing that. There was more likelihood that funders would fund a degree program than a certificate or a diploma program. At the time, I think when you're talking about effective models and when you're talking about uh, polysynthetic languages, I think at the time when I started looking at language learning, Cree or indigenous languages as a polysynthetic language wasn't really looked at. You know, all of the courses, all of the language programs focused on teaching it as though it was an English language, as though it was an isolated language, an isolating language. So not not taking into account, you know, how we create words before we create sentences. So in English, you're teaching words and then teaching people how to combine those words into sentences. Whereas for a language like Cree, the words are made up of units of meaning that are put together and then a word is formed and then you can put those words into a sentence if, if that's required. Sometimes all you need is that word for a complete sentence. And oftentimes what happened, I think, for learners is that they got overwhelmed with feeling like they had a whole new set of words to learn for I am walking and you're walking, he or she is walking, you know, we're walking, let's walk. So all of those became, you know, like I think it felt overwhelming for students to have to and then not to have to learn that. And then not only was there these different words but there is also the choice of two options, you know, so you could say it as nipimutan uh, or you could say it as epimuteyan. So it broadened the number of words they had to learn just to say, I'm walking, you're walking, those things. So one of the things that we decided to do, and I think we, were, we took our cue from Brian Miracle and the work that he was doing with the Mohawks in terms of what he called the root word method. So we worked to, to do part of our early instruction with our students and teaching them how to, how, to, how to insert the concept of I and the concept of you and the concept of us into, into verbs so that they could be introduced to a new verb and then know how to conjugate it into these different forms. So they weren't having to learn them as individual words. I don't know if that makes, if I'm making sense at this point. I think it might make sense to uh, indigenous language teachers, yeah. our, our primary audience. The root word method has come up a few times. It's good to hear some more specifics on it, but um, it does seem to be uh, something very relevant for indigenous languages. Yeah. I think one of the things that we found when we were doing that with our students is the sense of light bulb moments maybe or aha or you know like feeling like they could then hear people speaking and not necessarily know what the conversation was about but could follow some of those pronoun endings you know they could say oh that person's talking about themselves or they're talking about somebody they could start to recognize those bits of of meaning within words and within conversations the other method that we we use and we've had varying degrees of success for my own self, for my own learning. I think it was very successful. And that was um, the method called LAMP, Language Acquisition Made Practical. So this, I think, method was 
developed for people to work kind of like on their own initially and different than MAP. So in this sense, they, they find a phrase that they want to learn to say, and then they go and they ask for a translation and then they get the recording. So it's a kind of process and part of the process, they then write it out how it sounds to them. Um, eventually they'd have to go back and then do proper, the proper SRO spelling, but initially it's for their own, their own hearing. And then they practice it initially on their own. And then there was a number of ways you could practice so that you could listen and then practice or say it and then listen or say it at the same time as you're listening, break it up into chunks so that you're saying each chunk and then gradually putting them together. So there was a number of different listening sorts of exercises to help with the person to remember, to practice verbalizing, to improve their um, accent and, and the flow to, to, to have kind of like a natural flow. And then after they've done practicing they by themselves, they then had to practice with other people. And the recommendation was if you didn't have anybody to practice with, you just set it to things, you know, you just went out and set it to things so that the idea is to be able to exercise your, your ability to speak. So as people know, the, a person's ability to understand exceeds their ability to speak. And the ability to speak sometimes is, is harder for people to, to maintain and to develop those pathways. So that particularly coupled with looking at the word and how the word is structured was useful for me. So we then at the institution wanted to go towards a deeper look at the morphology. And we have not yet had the time to develop a way of doing it that we're satisfied with. We're still kind of like exploring the whole thing. We teach morphology. So we take words that the students might be interested in or that they've been utilizing and then look at how that word has been formed. So what is the root? So you have in the word like bim ute, you have, you know, bim, which is about movement and ute, which is about walking and then showing them how they're made and showing them how that root bim is in a lot of other words, like all of the movement words like bim tsime, bimeha, or in some concept words like bimatsuin, you know, so they get to see those units of meaning in other words and then I think it helps to build their understanding of, of words that they hear. It helps build, um, I think it creates an excitement for them because they can start to see maybe how like we're thinking, you know, how the, the Cree mind is working. Is there any questions that you have right now? Uh, really enjoying the, the unpacking of the examples. Please continue if you have more to, to say on it. Yeah, so we haven't we haven't arrived at a place where we have utilized the method as the Mohawks have. I think people talk about that root word method because Brian with some individuals have, have done some tremendous amount of of language learning, you know, where people have demonstrated such a, a stride within a year or two year period of having a, a, a handle on the language. And so that's kind of like what we desire for ourselves. And so I feel in part that whole morphology and how, how we put those morphemes together is part of that puzzle for us. With fluent speakers, a fluent speaker may arrive at a, a word that they need that hasn't ever been used before and they will create it because of their own understanding of how those morphemes 
are put together. And they might not necessarily have a conscious awareness of how they're put together, but they have an unconscious awareness of, of how they're constructing those words because they're doing it all the time. And that's why I think that you have, you know, a variety of ways of saying, you know, things for a same object. Why, why people, when they're translating a new word, why you have various different kinds of examples depending on the place where people are coming from, you know, so uh, different words for TV, you know, depending on who's doing the translation. Yeah, yeah. I'm just listening to and trying to understand uh, the root word method. And I was thinking to myself the other night and uh, trying to... Uh, trying to figure this out. And and I think I'm just beginning to understand uh, what it really means. Like when you say, when you, the root word for, let's say, let's say store, okay? Store would be a Taugamic, right? The Taugamic, you can say, I'm going to the store. So a Taugamic, or you could say, store store birds. <laughs> That's exact. That's kind of that's the root word method, I'm, uh, and I think it's finding very very interesting. I think once a person begins to grasp that, it starts to make things a little bit easier for somebody who's trying to learn the language. I wanted to ask you, just because this is an audio podcast, and some of the words that you you're saying are maybe a little bit people wondering, well, what does that mean? There's three words that came to mind that I heard you say that I was wondering about, like, uh, Andrew probably knows this, uh, polysynthetic and lamp uh, morphology. Can you explain what those mean? Isolating means that a word has, has only one morpheme. So you have, like, sit, and it's only got one morpheme. And Vietnamese is like that, you know, there's only one morpheme to each word. English is not as isolating as Vietnamese because it has incorporated other languages like, let's say, uh, Greek or Roman. So you have a word like dinosaur with two units of meaning dino and soar, you know, or you have undo, which has two units of meaning un and do. Then you have a polysynthetic language that has a lot of morphemes together. Uh, they can't stand alone. Like bim means nothing until you attach it to another morpheme. And then it has meaning, right? So you have a, a word like nipimutan, so ute, and then the, the final that I always associate ni and the ending together. So it has kind of like three morphemes. And none of those morphemes can, can exist outside of that word. So that's, that's kind of like what we're meaning by polysynthetic in that there's a lot of of morphemes that make up words, that there's very few words that, that have only one morpheme. So that's polysynthetic. Morphology is the study of words. So when you're looking at the words, you know, that now you're looking at the how words are structured. So you have that, I was talking about that word undo, and it has two units of meaning. So un and do. And then it talks about those two morphemes, those two units of meaning, which are called morphemes, they also have characteristics. So do means it's unbound. It, it means that it, it can exist by itself. It doesn't need to be attached to something. But the morpheme un has to be with something. You know, we don't, we don't go around saying un by itself. It has to be attached to a word. So it means it's bound. So the Cree language, 
a lot of those morphemes are bound. They have to be attached to something to have them have meaning. So then the other thing that you talked about was? LAMP. LAMP. Okay, LAMP is an acronym for a, a book. It's called Language Acquisition Made Practical okay. by Brewster and Brewster. So LAMP is Language Acquisition Made Practical. Where could a person obtain um, one of those? Probably a bookstore. You could probably look for it in on Amazon. Okay, good. Could you maybe uh, talk a bit about what's been working, what methodologies work? Maybe maybe what you're talking about is what's actually working. Uh, yep. What do you find is successful in uh, in teaching the language? Okay, so let me talk about this. Back to this lamp because I said it, I, I it was really useful for me. Part of the problem has to do with student and student motivation, you know. So even I think with Brian Miracle, he'll have some students who, who excelled, the, the ones that give us like, wow, we want that. But then he also had students that, are, that don't excel for a variety of reasons. So I think one of the reasons is sometimes people come in and want to learn language for the wrong motivation, you know, with the wrong reason, like to get a paycheck. And I think that everybody who wants to acquire the language has to put in the effort and the time. They have to be able to be willing to find the ways in which they, they can hear the language and they practice the language and they themselves use it. And the instructors can influence that, you know, by making it fun, making those moments where people are, you know, making the classes immersion as they can and demanding that people, you know, respond back in the language. But at the end of the day, it always rests with the student, the student's willingness to put in that time and effort and use the language. So that's part of it. The other part of it is finding ways to make the language relevant and useful to the student. And I think that that sometimes can, can be difficult. Like what is it in that person's life or living that is useful for them to learn it? So as, at the moment here at the school, one of the things that they're trying this year that they really like is all of the instructors met together from all of the different classes and decided the kinds of language focus that they wanted to have so that they had a similar language that they were using in each of their classrooms. So because we're a university, each class is like three hours long once a week. So we were wanting to expose them to as much language as we have, but we wanted the, the language to be consistent throughout so that the student would have enough exposure to that that language and they're not always constantly learning something different and new in each class. So I think that they felt like they were working more as a collective. So rather than each class existing on its own, they were working as a collective and they decided the kinds of terminology that they were going to be exposing the students throughout the term. And they found that that worked really well for them. So in the first year that we're, we're working, we're just focusing on the students doing all of their communication and all of their writing in syllabics. So that the first year is focused on them utilizing syllabics as a means of improving their ability to pronounce Cree words. So they're not having to, to be burdened with having to use English in the English pronunciation of English sounds. So I think that they're happy with, with that. There is a lot of talk in this area that syllabics is better. We should go back to using syllabics, but the majority of the material is written in SRO. So we're trying to compromise with that. Is what? Standard Roman orthography, the regular English alphabet. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's also in some other languages that they use syllabic and also the Roman orthography. I know the Inuktitut they use in the Eastern Arctic they use syllabics. Yep. And in the Western Arctic they use uh, Roman orthography. And there's always been debate, ongoing debate, about trying to standardize a writing system for that particular language, maybe Cree as well, and a debate on which system works yeah. better. I don't know the answer to that, but maybe you have an opinion on that. <laughs> I think that the, there's been a lot of work over the years done on standardizing the use of the English language, the English alphabet, and that there is, I think, for all intensive purposes, a standard way of writing that a lot of people are agreeing on and utilizing, at least in this area. You still have individual people who choose to use their own method of of how they understand the, the English sounds, you know. But for the most part, with teachers and people who are producing material, they use that standard Roman orthography that's emerged in this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I use on Facebook. Orthography. <laughs> 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 I never did learn syllabics, but uh, you know, when I'm talking to a Greek person on Facebook, I use I use the Roman orthography, and they understand it. So, yeah. <laughs> I guess if you're a Greek-speaking person, you can't pick it up. Yeah. The interesting uh, thing, the interesting with the interesting thing with the syllabics is that when the people started using it back when we were first colonized, I guess that Cree people were the the most literate people in the world because of the syllabics, and I think that it doesn't actually take that long to learn to understand the syllabics, yeah. Yeah, this thing on that subject, maybe you could provide some insight into how syllabics came about. I'd heard that it started out as uh, symbols being used by Crees and Inuit. They use these different symbols. And I don't know exactly where it originates from. And then I heard, uh, found out, I heard that it was actually developed by missionaries yeah. Using the, the the vowels, the sounds. Yeah. So I, I think for us here at Blue Quills, what we believe is that it was given to a man called Mr. Naskawil through a, a vision and that it would be useful for him in the future. I was reading something earlier on and it made me have this thought, which is it would be interesting to see if the people who practice the, those mid, Midouin lodges, uh, the Anishinaabe there, if they have a history of it. Because I know that in our area, there would be some of the people who practiced herbal medicine, not necessarily where they did they do ceremonies and that, but they were really strong herbal uh, medicine people. And they kept a lot of their information written in syllabics. So I don't know if that was part of that whole Medewin tradition or not. But for us here, when we talk about syllabics, we talk about it coming to us through uh, Mr. Nuskawail and that Evans took it and then allowed it to be known that he was the creator of that of that syllabics. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about the BA program in Cree and Denny? Uh, it's why I find that fascinating that you can get a degree in uh, Cree and Denny. Does that mean that when you go to university, the Blue Quill College University, that all your courses are in Cree? Is that not, correct? Not yet. So the program arose out of our need in our communities for language learners. So in our communities, we, we are owned by seven nations, and the majority of them have less uh, 
of people who are still fluent speakers and the majority of them are all older. So there's a need for uh, new speakers. So that was the reason why the, the program emerged was the need for new speakers and the need to find a way for those new speakers to be able to devote their time to learning a language, to learning Cree without having to worry about how they're going to feed themselves, how they're going to feed their family, you know, those kinds of things, how they're going to house themselves, those kinds of issues. Because I think that language learning can be hard and it is generally the thing that you put on the back burner if you have to provide for yourself and your family, if you're looking for a job. You know, people say, oh yeah, I take a language class, you know, like uh, in the evenings, but how many people want to do that if they're working full time and they're tired and they have kids and families? It becomes something that they think, oh, well, not right now, you know. So that was the purpose of, for that degree. At that time when we started it, we had a fellow named Wayne Jackson, which, who you might want to interview as well. He was working for us and he was a teacher. And he said, you know, we really need to be focusing on creating teachers and partly and training teachers, partly because the people that were coming to the program were fluent speakers. So we then shifted some of the courses that we were doing towards things like, you know, lesson planning and second language learning methodology so that people would be able to have, would be able to practice that, you know, would be able to leave here and then go and work in, in, in a school if they wanted to. We have since worked with the U of A to partner with their Aboriginal teachers education program so that the people who take our courses can then take it as a block and, and apply it to enter into a, an ATEP program with the U of A and get a teaching degree after that. And that was always the original intention was to have it kind of like as a, as a five-year dual degree. The Dene program, we just started recently and we just ran one year of it. And part of the problem, I think, was we didn't have a driver internally. And then we also were having trouble with getting enough students from the Cold Lake area. So this year we're going to, I think, expand it so that it's a it's a broader range of people and not just specifically to one community. How many communities are Dene in Alberta? Oh, shoot. In Alberta, I don't really know. That's where your college is, right? In Edmonton? No, our col- our university is in um, is in the town of St. Paul. So we're situated in kind of like in the middle of the seven communities I talked about. So Frog Lake, Kahiwin, Cold Lake, Beaver Lake, Heart Lake, Goodfish, and Sad Lake. So it's close to the Saskatchewan border. We're about, I don't know, an hour and a half maybe from there. We're okay. about an hour and a half from uh, Edmonton. Okay. Yeah. So the Dene communities in our seven communities, Heart Lake used to be a Dene community, but there's not any Dene speakers there and there's not any Cree speakers there. And Cold Lake is a mixed community of, of Cree and Dene as well. So, and I don't know what, what the percentage is, like how much Cree and how much uh, Dene. So... What's the uh, Dene language, uh, I guess, situation? Are more or less people speaking Dene? In Cold Lake, there's probably less speak- people speaking Dene. They're, they're in a similar situation as we are the Crees in this area. But in northern, I think northern Saskatchewan and some of the communities, people are still, there's still quite a, a large population that are speaking Dene. I don't know that they are, like, I don't know 
what their funding situation is, like whether or not there's a lot of resources that are given to Dene or whether the Dene have asked for a lot of resourcing to create programs or resources. And that might change. I mean, I think that there's a growing interest in, and so that that might change. They have dialectical issues as well, you know, so you have the Dene Susline and then you have the Dene Va and the Dene Za. And one of those might be in the, no the northwestern part of Alberta. And then you mm -hmm. have Sutina, which is another dialect. That's yeah. in southern Alberta, right? Yeah, that's in Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I found it fascinating that a Dene group would end up in that area. Yeah. Surrounded by, you know, the Blackfoots. Blackfoots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how that happened, but I do know also that, you know, like Dene Suslinea, they're quite related to the uh, language-wise and understandable to the Navajo and the Apache. Right. So. That's amazing. Yeah. It's quite a big, you know, like I always thought, you know, Algonquin was quite big, but the Dene language is quite large as well. The Dene language family is quite large. Yeah. You know, going, going from, you know, I don't know how far into Manitoba, whether it's in Ontario, but into Alberta, then up into the territories and then down in BC, you know? Yeah. Because as far as, uh, I don't think there's any Denny in, in Ontario. I think it goes as far as Churchill area. There was that say Denny, they were the ones that were tragically relocated to Churchill and had a devastating experience there. Wow. And uh, eventually they uh, decided on their own to move back to their traditional traditional area, which is maybe 100 kilometers west of Churchill. So mm. very, very, very uh, tragic story with that, that group. And then also there's, and then it goes, down, and it goes across the Arctic, right? I mean, subarctic, northern yep. provinces, and then it goes down into uh, Navajo territory. Yep. And uh, through Alberta, there must have been a trade route at one time. Yeah. You know, that way and around. Anyways, I found that I found that your your BA program in Cree and Denny pretty fascinating, and I can imagine some elders being a big part of this program and in terms of helping people learn the language. I have here in my notes. Cree programs K to 12, is that, is that, are you involved in that or were you involved in that kind of program at one time as a teacher? No, I've never, okay. the, uh, the only place that I taught was, uh, and I didn't really teach, I coordinated, was an immersion Head Start program. Yeah. yeah. We have one class that we do with, uh, for dual credit, and that's uh, our syllabics class. A lot of people want to learn their language and they want their children to learn the language as well. How important do you think it is for, and how can you go about doing this? Sometimes it's challenging. Some schools are implementing native languages. And how important do you think it is for public schools to have native languages taught in their schools? Is it practical? I don't think we should ask ourselves the question of whether or not it's practical. I think what, we, what we're not doing is we're not giving enough money for the recovery of the, the language loss that we've all collectively experienced. So it's like uh, the government, I mean, I don't know how much that is gonna go up to uh, the, the amount that they set aside for language, but 63 million is, is not a lot. And so when you look at what they're giving to the French, French language, so to support French language in Quebec and to support 
French language in small communities like, you know, the town of St. Paul here, they're giving 300 million, you know, whereas for indigenous languages in Canada, and I can't off the top of my head think of how many there are, and then all of the small communities that, that require language learning, then 63 million is, it's not enough. It's ridiculous. And so I think the question is not whether or not it's practical. The question is, you know, we need to give more money towards recovering our language loss. Absolutely. Yeah, fully agree. Mm -hmm. Andrew, do you have any more questions for her? Yeah, so you mentioned some uh, root word method engagement and then LAMP teacher coordination across the courses. And so just wondering for your students, when they graduate, what do they find themselves able to do in their communities? Okay, so before I go to that, I want to say, you know, like some of the other methods that we use, we use TPR because I think it's always a good beginning for some some beginning words, you know, some beginning command words to, to, to learn. And, and then again, we've heard uh, TPR defined in a, a couple of different ways. Which TPR are you using? Total physical response. Okay. Okay. What other TPR have you heard? Teach, practice, and then reteach or something like that. Oh, okay. Review. Review. Okay. I, I think that that's probably good as well and important, you know, like, because it's like you, you, you can never expect somebody to learn something from the first time. There's, you know, all that research about how much a person needs to hear and how much a person needs to speak in or before the, it is their own. But yeah, total physical response. So as a way of getting them to learn some words and through a physical medium, there's also another method called TPR storytelling, which I think is useful we haven't used it here mostly because we haven't really had the time to spend on developing it. But I think that that would be really useful. I'll answer now your other question about the students. And then I want to go back to say a little bit more of morphology, if you <laughs> will allow me. So students, again, it really is dependent on what the student's motivation is. So we have students that are teaching within um, uh, school systems. We have students who found out they don't like teaching, so they're working as resource developers. We have students who've gone on and are, you know, going for their masters. And then I think of varying degrees. So some people went on to, to do kind of like the ATAP program and, and have gotten that provincial licensing. And some people are just, you know, going in and teaching with the degree that we have. The drawback for them is that the schools tend to pay people who have a teaching degree more. But I think that, that that's change, that'll change now. We'll have more students who want to go into taking that ATEP. I think in Saskatchewan, they'll call it SUNTEP, and I don't know what they'd call it in Man Manitoba. Oh, okay, so it's, yeah. it's the Aboriginal Teachers Education Program out of the U of A. Yeah. It's a two-year kind of like thing that they can add on to another degree or because that's another thing that we do with our classes. So not all of our classes are related just to language learning, but also cultural learning. Because right. I, I think that that's an important, an important tie about who they are, you know, culturally as a, as a Cree person, that's important. And then the, histo the history, knowing that history. And I think that helps with people's motivation to wanting to learn because mm -hmm. people always want to know more about who they are and their place yeah. in history. One of the things we're hearing a lot across the interviews is that there's no separating culture from language. Yeah. 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 
languages like when do you understand uh, the native language you're looking inside the culture kind of thing you you yeah. you see the world of the Cree the way people are you know there's a lot of humor within our languages in our culture and people like to tease each other and make fun of each other you know yeah. in a fun way not not yeah. in a malicious way at all it's just part of who we are I guess it's part of we've used it as a tool to be resilient to survive in a lot of difficulties we've been, we've been through as Native people. So, yeah. Do you have anything else to add, um, Marilyn? You know, one thing that doesn't work, like, <laughs> so journal writing. So we've had, you know, in our classes when we're looking at how to assess and we assess in different ways. And then in some classes we think, oh, well, let's do journal writing so people can, you know, share their thoughts. But it is not a method that works. Our students tend to have difficulty wanting to wanting to write things in journals. Right. So I have no idea about that. That's very curious to me. Okay. I guess that ends our podcast interview. I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today and to talk about your expertise in uh, language revitalization and sharing your knowledge with us on this Indigenous Language Podcast Project. Thank you very much, Dr. Marilyn Schert. Okay, I just want to say, I, I don't feel like I have a lot of expertise, but I have experience and I don't mind sharing my experience and thoughts about those experiences. You're being modest. <laughs> you gave us a lot of good information, yes, for sure. Okay. 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 Thank you. Thank you very bye much. Bye. Thanks for okay. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Bye.